This is Gordon Vernick with Jazz Insights. Today I would like to talk about a wonderful bassist by the name of Scott LaFaro. He had a very short life. He passed away in a tragic car accident at age 26. But in a very short period, he made a tremendous impact on the world of bass playing and the way the bass functions in a jazz rhythm section. Scott grew up in a small town in upstate New York by the name of Geneva. He originally was a clarinetist and also played the saxophone and bass clarinet. And a very interesting story about Scott is that in his senior year in high school, he had decided he was going to go to Ithaca College Conservatory. And at that time, all instrumentalists, whether you played a trumpet, saxophone, or clarinet, each student had to also play a string instrument. And Scott decided that he was going to play the bass. So he, he came to the bass at a late point in his life. You would figure that someone who achieved virtuoso status on an instrument would have started much earlier. He had perfect pitch. He was a consummate musician. He was an incessant practicer, much the way John Coltrane uh, was. He was very serious about his instrument, and he really didn't have patience for people who didn't see music with as much seriousness as he did. And in a very short period of time, from the age 18 to 26, when he passed away so very young, he made some fantastic recordings. Now, of course, today we always think about Scott LaFaro in relationship to his work with the Bill Evans Trio. What's very interesting about that is that he only made four albums, actually three albums with uh, Bill Evans. There was um, Portrait and Jazz Explorations, and of course the live sessions at Village Vanguard, which came out as two separate albums. There were some live things that he did with Bill, but they're kind of hard to find commercially. But he had a whole career as a bass player before that. So I'd like to play some bass players that really kind of set the stage for 1940s and 50s bass playing. The first bassist we're going to listen to is Jimmy Blanton, who really revolutionized the bass in the 1930s and early 40s when he was playing with Duke Ellington. Blanton was the first real modern bassist. This is a very unusual recording. It's called Sepia Panorama, done in 1941, shortly before he passed. And check out the way Jimmy Blanton not only can walk amazing bass lines, but his soloing, the way he gets up and down the neck of the bass like a spider. Jimmy Blanton, 1941, check this out. Thank you. 
So Jimmy Blanton, through his work with Duke Ellington at that time, really shows us what the bass is capable of. Uh, Blanton plays horn-like lines when he's improvising. It sounds like a, like a trombone player or tenor player. Now, in the 40s and early 50s, there were some great bass players who built upon what Blanton had given us. Um, Oscar Pettiford, Charles Mingus, Milt Hinton, George DeVivier, and of course, Ray Brown, and later, Paul Chambers. I would say that Ray Brown is probably the bass player that, that most people talk about. So we're gonna check out a track called The Honey Dripper. bass player who's a little younger than Ray Brown and a little older than Scott LaFauer was Paul Chambers but he also was a very revolutionary bassist in that he um, you know he was a great soloist also a great timekeeper this is from an album from 1957 entitled the Paul Chambers Quintet this is softly as in the morning sunrise let's check out Paul's bass playing Okay, so now I've given you a little bit of background on uh, the stage of modern bass playing circa late 1950s in jazz. Scott LaFaro went, I believe it was at the summer break after his freshman year, he had achieved a great deal of technical proficiency on the bass because of his constant practicing. And I believe he probably took a lot of the ideas that were the technical approach to playing the clarinet and then applies that to the bass. Again, he plays the bass in a very, um, almost like a ballet-like manner where he just uses the very, very high register to low register and can play very, very wide intervals with perfect intonation and incredible um, coordination. Early in his career, he had an opportunity to go play with some local bands. One thing led to another. He ended up playing with one of the pretty famous bands of the 1950s, and it was led by Buddy Morrow. It was a very commercial um, big band, very much in the, you know, say Glenn Miller or Tommy Dorsey style. And his first real playing, professional playing experiences was touring with, with the Buddy Morrow band. I believe he was with the group for about a year. Um, he also played at this time with, with Benny Goodman. He did a lot of work with big bands. So his, his first real experiences playing the bass professionally were not in small groups. He was, it was as a big band bass player. In fact, he also played and recorded with Stan Kenton, Marty Paik, and, and, and a few other very well-known band leaders in the 1950s. His first really important record as a bassist, he was living out in California. He was making great connections with people like Stan Getz and Chet Baker and Herb Geller and uh, Hampton Hawes and all the, the all the West Coast guys. Even though he was more or less a, a New Yorker, but upstate New Yorker, he really broke into the professional music scene out in, in California. 
he met um, a young pianist and vibraphonist by the name of Victor Feldman, who had come here from the, to come to the states from England. And Victor was a, a very fine composer, and also um, later on did play with Miles Davis, and is the composer of Seven Steps to Heaven. But early in his career, Victor's first record was called The Arrival of Victor Feldman, or at least in early 1958. And this is Scott LaFauer's first really important jazz record. We're going to listen to a track called Serpent's Tooth, and he plays a great solo, but really what I want you to concentrate on is the way he's just walking very much in the Paul Chambers, Ray Brown style. In fact, the first time I heard this, I didn't know it was he who was playing. I thought it's got to be Ray Brown. Check this out. One of the interesting things about this particular record is that Victor Feldman plays both vibes and piano, but when he's playing vibes, you can really hear, the, of course, the drummer with great clarity, but especially the bass player. You can really hear everything that Scott LaFaro is playing with great clarity. Now, later on in the track, Scott plays a wonderful solo, so check out Scott's solo on this track, Serpent's Tooth. Scott LaFaro developed a style using two fingers and ultimately, I believe, three or four fingers when he could pluck the strings. And that's how he was able to play with such clarity and so and with such fast lines. And nothing sounds rushed. It always sounds very relaxed. From that same record, we're going to check out a Dizzy Gillespie composition entitled Bebop. And the, the tempo of this is just blazingly fast. And check out the way Scott LaFaro walks through this. And it just sounds so easy for him in his time is just impeccable. Before Scott LaFaro was the Scott LaFaro that we associate with Bill Evans, he was a fantastic walker. 
and really comes from a great line of bass walkers. And um, what's really interesting, another interesting thing is that he hadn't been playing the bass that long. He had perfect pitch. He um, was really enamored with harmony and was always thinking about how his bass notes would fit in with what the pianist is playing. And of course, he brings that to the forefront, especially with his work with the Bill Evans trio late in 59, 60, and of course 61. But he's thinking about this stuff all the time. He's not just walking notes. He's trying to figure out how can I get from point A to point B and make it swing and have the notes make the most sense in terms of harmony. We're going to close out the show with a track from a record um, entitled For Real, and this is the title track from 1958 recording with Hampton Hawes, Scott LaFaro on the bass, walking like a true master at age... This has been Jazz Insights with Dr. Gordon Vernick. Visit me on the web at gordonvernick.com. Jazz Insights is produced by WMLB AM 1690, the voice of the arts in Atlanta, Georgia.